Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are in the 11th installment of our series called Character Sketch, and joining us to preach on the perseverance of Job is our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, here we find ourselves yet another week in our Character Sketch series. My name is Pastor Jamie. It's a blessing to be here with you. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the perseverance of of Job. And what's really interesting about the book of Job is even though his name's on the book, it's really not about him. Because there's a, there's a much bigger story that's, that's taking place. There's a much bigger story that's being told. And so we're going to jump into that. And um, I want you to know right now, this is not going to be an easy sermon to hear for a lot of us. Because there's a lot of things going on in our lives that we can't explain. There's a lot of things that you brought in here with you that when someone says, how are you doing, they're the last thing you ever mention. But we're hurting, aren't we? We've gone through hardship. We physically have been ill. You know, I shared this in the earlier service, and I'll share it with you all, that over the past couple of years, um, I've actually been afflicted with something that's attacking my spine. And I have a hard time standing up here. But because of that... I can say this, God is good. All the time. And all the time, it feels weird to say it after someone says something like that, doesn't it? But we have to remember that God is good, and God is good all the time in everything. That His will and His love for you is sovereign, even when it seems like your life is falling apart. You know, this... Past Friday, we had an incredible opportunity here. We as families came together, and, and we, we had over 450 people come out, and we just had a goofy family fun night where we did some Star Wars stuff. We had a Christian illusionist. But what was amazing about that night is 15 young folks, I watched as they raised their hands, they wanted to receive Jesus in their hearts for the first time. And so we can either choose to get bogged down in the horrible bad things of life, or we can submit to that and just understand that God has a bigger story, a bigger plan, and something awesome going on, and we can celebrate the good things. So let me ask you this question. Did you walk in here with pain this morning? If so, I want you to verbally say out loud, yes, I did. Did you walk in with pain this morning? Did you walk in here at some point losing somebody in your life? Did you walk in here with a past sin that haunts you? Did you walk in here with with an ailment that you wish God would take away from you and you don't understand why he hasn't? Yes, I do. We've all got something. We've all got something going on in our lives that is what we would refer to as not good. I remember about 10 years ago, I uh, do a lot of work missionally speaking in the Caribbean, and um, I was with an organization, and there was a, there was a particular island, and I'm not going to mention where because they've asked us not to um, when we talk about this place publicly, but there was an old leper colony that had been abandoned, and all the patients of leprosy in this one little island had basically all died off. And so now there was this little village that existed on one of the highest parts of this, this, this island, and it, it was over a big cemetery, but this little village was a place where the people of the Caribbean would bring their loved ones that they couldn't afford to take care of, who had things like AIDS, they had things like uh, muscular dystrophy, or they had lost limbs due to diabetes, or something else and and so what this old leper colony had become was was really just this place of abandonment 
And I was asked by my friend Rich if he, if I, he could take me there to meet some of the, the, the people that lived there. And I remember we pulled up, and it, it looked like a scene out of the movie Papillon. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but there was like this, there was like this little white huts everywhere, and it looked like a prison camp. And when we pulled in, there was, I remember there was a lighthouse, and then there was this beautiful chapel that you saw when you pulled in. And, and we went into the chapel, and I remember the chapel was, you know, dilapidated and run down and, and, and on the inside, except for the very front where the pulpit was. There was this beautiful pulpit, and then behind it was this incredibly large glass window that took up the entire wall. And what you saw when you looked out of this wall was a cemetery that was massive. And I couldn't help but to think of myself that every time the people, the residents of this place, come into their chapel, they're reminded of their human final resting place. They've got this cemetery that they look at. But as I thought that, I looked up and above the window, there was this beautiful little sign that says, this is not where our story ends. This is not our final resting place. And I was touched by that because I thought, you know, here I'm in a, I'm in a colony of people with AIDS, with all kinds of issues that they're going to die, but yet they're looking up. We came out of the chapel and I remember I heard singing and I heard a very specific song in the garden and he walks with me and talks with me. You know the song, right? And I began to walk down this little path to see a man with no legs was the one singing. His name was Arthur. His body was rotting away. But yet he sat on his porch and I remember he said, hey, bring me a mango and come sing with me. And we just sang hymns. It touched my heart. Because surely if anybody had a reason to be upset, it would be this man who was abandoned. But yet from his lips came praises. And not just praises, but the promise that one day he will walk with God. I continued walking and I was introduced to a young man by the name of Garvin who, who suffered from muscular dystrophy and different things that his muscles were so constrained and he laid on his belly and his hands were like this and I remember he looked up at me and he smiled real big and with a broken voice he said, do you want to hear something? I said, sure. And they wheeled a piano over to where he was lying and I watched as with all of the muscles and all of the strength and all the pain that it took, he straightened his hands and he began to play on the piano praise and worship music to God. Some of you have been there with me. Then we kept walking down a little further and we came to the house of a lady who would be known as Miss Moxie. You can laugh at that. It's okay. <laughs> Miss Moxie, I said, well, what's going on with this lady? What's this lady's story? And they told me that Miss Moxie was a God-fearing person. She loved Jesus. And back in the early 80s, her daughter was hit by a car in Miami, Florida. And she was going to die. She needed a blood transfusion. And so Miss Moxie went to the hospital to, to give blood so that her daughter could live. And when they did the transfusion, they used a dirty needle and she contracted AIDS. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if anybody ever had a reason to be mad at God, it's this woman. She was trying to preserve the life of her daughter, but received a death sentence instead. And I remember as I walked into her little six-by-six six hut with her urine-stoked bed on the side and a little boombox over here, she went, ooh-wee. 
And I walked in, and she must have seen it on my face. And she said, come over here, child, sit next to me. And she grabbed my hand, and she sat me on her urine-soaked bed. And she began to talk to me about how good God is. She began to talk to me about how faithful God is. And then she says, ooh, get that Chris Tomlin over there. We're going to (laughs) sing. And she just sang. And some of you who have been there with me, you know who I'm talking about. And she would begin to sing and she would raise her hands and she would just wail as loud as she could about how great is our God. Sing with me how great our God, she would say. And for 45 minutes I sat there and listened to this woman praise God. And finally, I got a chance to speak to her. And I asked her some stupid questions because I knew the answers. Where does your joy come from? How does, you know, and she just said, the Lord God loves me. And I said, Miss Moxie, have you ever asked God the question, why me? And she looked at me and she just said, oh, honey child, why not me? She said, you view what I have here as an affliction, but what I have here is a gift from God because do you know how many people come through my door that I get to share the gospel of Jesus with? And she would just do it over and over. And here I'm the pastor coming to minister to her. Nice one, me. And she just kept talking about the love of God. She died about a year and a half ago. Miss Moxie's story forever stayed with me because if ever a woman had a right to be mad at the Lord, it was her, but only thing she could do is praise God. I remember she said, you know that Braddy and Jangelina, they came through here. <laughs> and I shared Jesus with them. And she was talking about Brad Pitt. And Anna G- Angelina Jolie had actually come through on a photo op to visit these people. But she said, you view my affliction as something bad, but what God has done to me is blessed me with an opportunity to share the gospel. Holy cow. How are you feeling about your thing right now? Right? God has put you in places in your life, not because you're his enemy, but because he's making you into what he needs you to be to bring him glory. The book of Job is not about Job. The book of Job is about the glory of God. Because you see, when we read this passage this morning, we're given a glimpse into something that we're not often given a glimpse into, and that's the throne room of God. Do you catch that? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to the book of Job. And as you're doing that, I want to remind you of a story of Jesus. Coming out of the book of Matthew. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's preparing his heart and his soul to go to the cross, Jesus says these words in Matthew 26. He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says, My Father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but your will. Jesus asks a question of God. Is this your will? God says, yes. And Jesus' reply is, your will be done. Did you know it's okay for you to ask a question of God? Did you know that? It's okay for you to cry out and say, God, what are you doing in my life? The problem is, is instead of asking a question of God, all too often we question God. There's the difference. 
And in this moment, Job doesn't have the luxury that we have. If you don't know who Job is, Job is a very wealthy man. Now, if I told you why he was wealthy, you might laugh because he sounds like he's just got this tremendous amount of farming stuff, which is true, but that was wealth. In fact, there was nobody wealthier than Job in his day. He had ten children. He had seven sons and three daughters. And what's really cool about their story is Job's family loved being together. They threw parties very often and they would get together. And and in all things, they would bring glory to God. So they were that family that, that loved Jesus, that loved God. They were that family that loved one another. They were loved by the people that worked for them. Job was the man. And so... That's who Job is. But then in the book of Job, we encounter this moment with God where we're given a rare glimpse into the throne room of God. And so today, or throughout the week, I want you to read this story with your family. Because I'm going to fly through it because there's like 400 bajillion chapters that I'm going to try to summarize in the next 12.39 minutes. All right? There's a man by the name of Job it talks about, but then it says, on the day in verse Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, On the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. So what we're seeing is we're seeing this moment where the angels are coming to God and they're giving him uh, God an account of what they've been up to. But what's really amazing is this next line that simply says, Satan also came with them. Now, thanks to writings like Paradise Lost and other literature out there, some of us have the mindset that Satan is currently sitting in his hot box down in hell, ruling from there, and he's not. Where does Satan reign from? Here. Satan roams the earth looking for whom he may devour. He is thrown into the lake of fire, hopefully well after our happy ending. you catch that? Satan is around the town. And so in this moment, Satan comes to the Lord, and God says to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answers the Lord, well, I've come from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, what's about to take place is as epic as what takes place in the Garden uh, of Eden. Because what happens in the Garden of Eden has to do with Adam and Eve. And man, does it affect us, right? Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, but, But it's really about the honor and glory of God. And so what's about to take place in the book of Job really isn't to do with Job himself, but Satan is there in the throne room of God, the angels are around him, and Satan begins to make a joke out of God. Satan begins to to blaspheme and disrespect God. And so when we read the book of Job, we often read the book of Job as Job is some type of victim, but I kid you not, Job is not a victim. In this book, Job is a defender of the faith, and he will not know it until he gets to the side of God. Job doesn't have the luxury that we have of reading the whole book. He's busy living it. And when you're going through the hardships and brokenness and hurts in your life, you don't see the whole story, amen? And I'm going to tell you, There's some times in my life where I really want to ask God the question, what are you doing? But I need to trust him, as we're going to see here. So Satan says to God in a very disrespectful tone, very well, 
Uh, oh, excuse me, a wrong place. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the entire land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse your face. The Lord said to Satan, and this is the first encounter in chapter 1. He says, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself you do not lay a finger. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking uh, wine at the oldest brother's house, they were out having a party, they were just loving one another, a natural disaster comes. Job's cattle and sheep and all of his wealth are out and about, and all of a sudden raiders and pillagers, they come in and they take everything that Job has and they kill all of his servants but one. And that servant comes and says, Job, everything's gone. They've taken everything. Another servant comes while Job's trying to figure out in his mind, okay, I'm now broke, what do I do? And this servant says, Job, all of your children are dead. A natural disaster struck, and they're gone. And so in this moment, not a single one of us in this room would, would look at Job as a weaker man if we, he, he just burst out and screamed and, and, and wailed and even asked questions of God or whatever. We, we get that, don't we? You've had those hurts in your life. You've had those pains in your life. But Job's response is absolutely amazing because Job says this in response to all this news that he just received. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart for the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In this moment, Job is recognizing God's sovereignty. He's recognizing that in the good and in the bad, I don't get to pick and choose when I worship God, but God is good. And all the time, God is good. There's so much more to that statement than when we just utter it off of our lips. Maybe you have cancer out there right now. Maybe you're infertile. Maybe you're going through an awful divorce. Is God good? Is God good? Yes. And so here we come to the second part, the second scene. Job has been dashed by the enemy's hand. In his mind, he's thinking God hates him. But the reality of it is, is God was bragging about Job. Think about that. God put faith in Job to be the defender of his honor. Isn't that amazing? That's a terrible place to be, <laughs> according to what this says. But can we say we want to love God that way? And Job honors God, and it says in the Word that in all this, Job did not sin. And so there again, another day comes around in chapter 2, our passage for this morning. And the Lord is up in heaven with his, or up in the kingdom with his angels, and he's in his throne room. And it says that the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, and I love this because this is so much trash talk right now. Here's God in heaven. And Satan shows up again, and God's just going, told you so. Can't hurt my man Job. Where have you come from, he says to Satan. Satan answered, and I'm sure with a sneer on his face, from roaming the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? And then God drops the mic and walks away. 
Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one else on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God, and he shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Mm. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all that he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. He's saying this in the presence of all the angels. He's disrespecting God in his own dojo, in his own kingdom. And here, God says, you know what? Job loves me. He says, you can strike him. You can make him sick. You're not allowed to kill him. You're not allowed to kill him. And so Satan goes and it says this. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the tops of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes, which is how they would mourn. His wife, yeah, so, so Job is in this process of mourning, but now his physical health is gone. Have you ever felt like you've had a bad day and then some other news comes in and you just can't take any more? Satan is working hard on Job, and I want to say it, at the permission of God. Because in all things, God is in control. God is sovereign. And and part of the purpose of the book of Job is to remind us as believers that in the good times and in the bad times, God is sovereign. That God has a plan. We only see a small portion of the greater picture of eternity. And and the hell on earth that you're living in right now may be something setting you up for, for being able to glorify God in an amazing way. Let me just say it like this. The earthly story of the disciples did not end well. But forever is going to be awesome. And for some of you sitting in this room right now, God has blessed you with, a, with, a, with, a, with an earthly life that may not end well. Can we still say God is good? Because as we look out over that tomb, as we look out over that graveyard, our story doesn't end there. Amen? Amen. So Job stands there as Satan's now afflicted his body with the permission of God. And then Satan brings in his best tool, mankind. For Job's about to have a conversation with four people that really are trying to help him, But sometimes the best thing that we can do as friends and as loved ones when someone in our life is suffering is simply shut up. Did you know that? That sometimes what your friends really need is for you to simply just show up and be there. We actually call that the ministry of presence. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is open your mouth, as we're going to see here in a moment. Because Job has these three friends who who they love Job, and they show up for Job, and they're mourning with Job. And it actually says in the scripture that for uh, seven days, they sat with Job on the ash heap, and they they too tore their clothes, and they they prayed prayed and just meditated, and they were quiet with Job for seven days. So for seven days, these guys were great friends. But then they make one crucial mistake. Do you know what it is? They open their mouth. And they began to speak from their own wisdom. I have had extreme hardship in my life. But that does not qualify me to speak remotely at all to what you are going through in your life. And what you are going through in your life does not qualify you to remotely at all speak to the hardship that someone else is going through. The only thing that qualifies me to speak to you and the only thing that qualifies you to speak to someone else are the words of this book. 
Each of our experiences is very different. They're very unique and we hurt in different ways. And so now we come to the three stooges, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who were really good friends to Job when they just sat there with him. But now they've opened their mouth and, and Eliphaz decides to begin to talk to Job about wisdom that he has experienced and observed. And you know, Job, I really think that maybe you have sinned against God and God hates you. And if you just ask for forgiveness, God will make everything right again. That's not how God works. Plus, Job hasn't sinned against God. Again, Job may be feeling like an enemy of God, but Job's actually a defender of the faith. He's glorifying God by remaining faithful. And so Eliphaz runs his mouth, and then Bildad comes along, and Bildad comes from the perspective of of offering uh, wisdom that he has heard other people talk about. Well, my Uncle Joe's aunt's dog catcher said this, and this is what you should do, Job. Listen to me. No earthly wisdom will provide and meet your need. Only eternal wisdom. And so Bildad offers wisdom from what he's heard others say. And then Zophar comes in with his Bill Nye the Science Guy logic and scientific explanation of what's happening to Job. And surely if you did XYZ and LMNOP, this will take place. And, and all of it's rubbish. And so Job, here he is standing fast against Satan himself. And now he's got his three friends trying to help. And, and listen... In the, in, the, in the depths of their heart, they really were trying to help. They were. But what they were doing, as you read the book of Job, is they were actually discouraging him, and they were causing his faith to waver a little bit. Until finally, there's a fourth friend who's hanging out. Oh, and by the way, his wife is one of those people too, because at some point she simply says this to Job, hey, why don't you just curse God and be done with all this? Now she's suffering too. And he says, you're crazy, woman. Why do you speak like this? Should I only praise God in the good times and not the bad too? So again, we see the heart of Job. Even as he's challenged by his loved ones and his friends, he stands firm and he asks God some questions. But then there's this fourth friend, a guy by the name of Elihu who shows up. Now Elihu's a younger guy, and out of respect for his elders, he lets the other guys talk, and so finally he, he, he listens to what everybody has to say, and he looks at the three, and, and he, then he looks at Job, and he says, you guys are nuts. You are out of your mind. What are you talking about? Job, pick your head up. You didn't sin against the Lord. What are you thinking? He begins to to chastise the other three. You're bringing wisdom from the world. You're not bringing wisdom from God. And then he says, Job, gird your loins up, man. Come on. Listen to me. When we're going through something, it's right for us to mourn. It's right for us to weep. But there comes a moment where we have to accept the circumstances where God has us and we need to begin to move to glorifying Him. And we need friends like Elihu in our life to tell us, pick your head up. You're a child of the King. Job says to Elihu, does God view me as an enemy? And Elihu with a compassionate heart says to him, no, God does not view you as His enemy. He views you as His child. And he loves you. And he wants to see you be who he wants you to be. Which brings us to our second reason for the book of Job. What's the first reason for the book of Job? Sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the first reason. The second reason is 
that God takes this thing that Satan meant for evil and he uses it for good and he begins to refine Job into becoming a deeper lover of him than he was before. Does that make sense? And I'm telling you right now, church, whatever it is you're going through, if you can submit to the Lord's will, He is refining you, He is growing you, and it may not look like a happy picture right now, but I promise you this, God has a purpose and a plan for the trouble, the hardship, the loss, the sickness, the brokenness that you're going through. Miss Moxie saw her affliction as a blessing. Do you see your affliction as a blessing? Do you trust the Lord and persevere the way that Job persevered? Or do you simply trust the wisdom of this earth? Bad stuff happens because bad stuff happens. And if we're very honest about it, Christians, bad stuff happens because God permits it. But there's a reason for it. Maybe you're defending the faith and you don't know it. Maybe through your suffering and your pain like Miss Moxie, countless lives will come to know the Lord Jesus. Do you trust God? See, how Job was able to persevere when we look at this passage and when we look at this scripture is because God caused, well, God worked in Job in such a way that Job simply was who he said he was. He submitted to the will of God. He submitted to where God had placed him. And in all things, he sought to bring glory to God. Now, Job asked questions of God, didn't he? Jesus asked questions of God. Jesus worried. Job wept. But they didn't stay there. They didn't live in it. Like Elihu said, Job, you've got to gird your loins, we've got to buck up, we've got to move on. We can't live in our misery. We can't let it define us. It can be a part of our story, but it's not our affliction. It's our blessing. So how do you see your affliction as a blessing from the Lord? And how are you using it to bring glory to God? Because the book of Job is not about Job's suffering. It's about Job defending the honor of God. But that had to be tough for Job because he didn't know that. You see that, right, church? Listen. Here's four things I want you to take away from today. The first is I want you to believe with all your heart in the absolute sovereignty of God. Do you know that God has a bigger plan than you? But you get to be a part of it. So pray that God would give you that same conviction to trust Him in all things. Believe in your heart that everything He does is right and good. Do you believe that God is good? We say it all the time, but do you believe it? Pray that God will give you that assurance that He is good. You know, we've asked questions of God, and I've done this, but I've actually questioned God. Are you there? And the truth is, I need to repent of that. Because God's big enough to handle my questions, but I can't allow my questions to turn into doubt. And yes, God is there, and we need to repent of our doubt. The fourth one is kind of hard. And for some of you, this, for all of us, it looks very different. We have to learn how to be satisfied with where God has put us. I don't care if God takes away your ability to walk. I don't care if God takes a limb from your body. I, oh, this sounds so hard to say. I don't care if you've lost a child. How do you find peace in where God has you? 
for the purpose of bringing him glory. Now, when I say I don't care, it's not that I don't care. It's not an excuse. Because when we say God is good all the time, in all things, God is sovereign. And we hurt. We have pain. But don't be a victim to your pain. Be triumphant over it by glorifying God. Amen? Amen. George Mueller, out of Bristol, England, had the strength and privilege to speak at his wife's eulogy on February 6th, 1870. And he said these words that are just amazing. They had been married 39 years. And he said this, I miss her in numberless ways. And I shall miss her yet more and more. But as a child of God and as a servant of the Lord Jesus, I bow and I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to his holy will to glorify him. And I kiss continually the hand that has afflicted me. That's tough to hear, isn't it? But God is good. And all the time, God is good. And so, may the peace of the Lord be with each of you as you persevere through your afflictions. God, we love you. Hear our groans. Hear our cries. And Lord, as we seek to make earthly sense of the things that go on our lives, remind us that we are not your enemy. That you actually love us. And when we persevere through the hardship, God, you are in control at all times. And though we can't see the end of the picture, Lord, we pray that you would bring us comfort and peace and help us to move to being people that can bring you glory. So as we come to this, your table, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.